AM 1420, WBSN presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz back here in the studio after uh, taking last week out in the field, and we'll talk to him about that coming up a little bit later on in the show. But uh, what a Halloween weekend we had. I mean, I still haven't recovered from last week's show. It's just it creeped me out <laughs> so much talking about the Amityville case. And uh, if you haven't heard that show... Um, why don't you stop listening now? Go back and listen. We'll wait. It was only like what, like two and a half hours of straight talk. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we we skipped the news breaks. I haven't heard anything uh, if we're in trouble or not for skipping the news breaks, but uh, we did that, and uh, we basically just let Jackie Barrett tell her story and talk about her experiences, and also talk about uh, the real story behind the Amityville murders, at least uh, what she's been told by. Ronald DeFeo Jr. and what she's gathered in her work with him. And I can tell you, I was a little creeped out to have him send a message to me through Jackie. That was a little creepy. And uh, to tell me that uh, hopefully whatever it was that possessed him doesn't come back around. Uh, It made me think twice a little bit as I was falling asleep last Sunday morning. But uh, everything seems okay so far. I know that Chris Balzano, our content director here at Spooky South Coast, had some issues. Hopefully uh, he's doing well. And I haven't really had a chance to talk to him much this week, so (laughs) hopefully things are going good for him. And uh, I did watch the Amityville special uh, on Sunday night. Now, Matt, you did not get to see it? No, I didn't. And I don't know if you saw it, Moniz, the A&E special. No, I did not. They they changed it from Amityville, the final chapter. It was called Amityville, the Last Testament. And uh, it was really, it was different. It wasn't quite what I expected, uh, and it was it was a lot of it was about Jackie and, and her connection to the case as, as we expected it would be, uh, and a lot of it was Ron DeFeo telling, you know, his side of things. But even within the context of that one hour special, his story kind of changed from from moment to moment, and it, it seemed to me like he was somebody who was always grasping at straws to explain things uh, with the case. And I can tell you that uh, although it's definitely worth the watch. Um, she actually revealed more on our show last week than she did in that special, I think. She actually dropped bigger bombs here on Spooky South Coast than she did on the A&E special. So if you haven't gone back and, and listened to that show, I highly recommend it, including uh, such things that I had never heard uh, related to the case uh, of the devil worshipping happening in the house. I mean, I know it was suspected because of the red room under the stairs, uh, but there hadn't been confirmation of it. Jackie and, and Butch apparently have confirmed that. And uh, also the talk about uh, George Lutz and Ron DeFeo actually knowing each other prior to the murders is something that was very interesting to me. And there's a new film coming out, a new Amityville film that somebody's working on, uh, along with Alexandra Holzer, and I've actually been in contact with them, so hopefully we can get them to come on and tell us their side of things coming up in the future. Because the Amityville case is always going to be fascinating to me. Not just the murders, not just the hauntings, but how they're all uh, intertwined with each other. 
So that was a, a good way to spend Halloween. Of course, we tried to do the haunted yard at my house, but the wind kind of... Yeah, nobody was really out either. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess because the Patriots are playing and it was a Sunday night, but uh, the numbers were definitely down. So there's still a lot of candy at my house. So I've been working on that all week long, too. Obviously, as you can tell if you're watching on Fate Radio, you can see our live spooky studio camera. And you can see what's going on, at least with myself and Matt Moniz, because Matt Costa has to produce the show over there in the corner where he belongs. <laughs> and uh, so tonight we're going to actually just have an open lines, open discussion here. And you can call in at any time, one 996 1420 You can also email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. I sound less tinny now when I talk directly into the microphone instead of on top of it. So I want to try and do that for the remainder of the program. But uh, we are going to just talk about whatever you want, any experiences you may have had, any questions you may have regarding the paranormal, any theories that you may have. I know with all these different paranormal programs that have been on over the course of the last couple of weeks leading up to Halloween, uh, there's some new people here that are just listening to the show for the first time. They might have some questions. There's some seasoned investigators who might have some problems with some of what they've been seeing on TV. Matt Moniz, did you get a chance to watch the Ghost Lab episode from Lizzie Borden yet? Have you seen it? No. Okay, well, let me tell you, it was definitely not what I was expecting uh, to happen. We were there. We were there probably a couple hours. At least, yeah. And uh, I remember that we went room to room. We recounted some of our experiences for the production team. Mm -hmm. Uh, They filmed some things in some of the rooms. We actually went out and filmed the segment in the ghost lab. Correct. uh, With, I don't know the difference. I think it was Brad. Yes. Brad and Steve. And (laughs) sorry, I don't watch the show, so I don't know which one's which. Um, But we... uh, we filmed the segment in the lab where you presented the evidence that Whaling City ghosts uh, had captured when they investigated the house with us, uh, including the EVP of Lizzie saying, but I'm a good daughter. And uh, our the video that I got of the camera mm-hmm. moving, yeah. But in, in the course of the program, they played an EVP that they got that they think is Andrew Borden saying that uh, she did it. You know, basically accusing Lizzie of doing it. And it would have been a nice contrast if they played Luann's EVP of Lizzie saying that, you know, she didn't do it or, or saying that even if she did, she was still a good daughter. So I was a little bit disappointed in the fact that they could have actually played that off each other. Instead, it was kind of like they went in with the they think Lizzie did it theory and they wanted evidence that backed that up. And, you know, it's their show. They can handle it however they want to, but it's not how I would have handled it. That's for sure. And if you're in the chat room, by the way, at SpookySouthCoast.com's Fate Radio link, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Fate Radio logo at the top and you can get into the chat room there uh you'll notice that uh, it automatically gives you like the goofiest possible screen names such as uh dip mush or wookie love now i don't know if those are your preferred names and those are what you actually chose but you can right click on your name and change it to something else uh except for spooky tim because that's already taken by me and uh, also not hilly rose either you can't use that one but uh if you want to jump into the conversation there uh, that works as well we can read that while we're on the air and I know that they always go off on some great discussions, but there is, if you're interested in the Lizzie Borden case, and that's not not about the paranormal, but you want to learn about Lizzie Borden and about the effect that those murders had on the city of Fall River at the time, uh, Ricardo Rabello's new documentary, uh, Elizabeth, A Victorian Nightmare, uh, debuted this week on PBS, and it's available for sale as well. Uh, If you go online, you can find it and get your hands on that. I don't think it's expensive. I don't remember the price. But uh, I watched it last night. It was uh, very well done. All the major players in the Lizzie Borden scene, uh, they come on and share their thoughts. 
uh, including uh, the Historical Society, uh, getting their say uh, about it. And it, you're going to get a lot more out of the Historical Society coming up when Parallel Lives is released. Because this is, I think, six years in the making they've been working on this book. And I was talking to Michael Martins, the curator of the Historical Society, last week. And I believe he said 928 pages as of right now. And that's after they've already edited all but the final chapter. They're just waiting for the proofs to come back on the final chapter. And then it should be ready to go to press. So all this time that that they've been putting in on it, now it looks like it's ready to come come out. When it does, uh, Michael's going to let us know about the release. And he's going to come on the show. And we're going to dedicate a whole show talking about Parallel Lives. And it's not just about Lizzie Borden. It's about Fall River. Uh, It's history, especially at that time. And it's just, it's going to be, I think, a real eye-opening show for people who see Lizzie Borden as basically just an axe murderess. People who see her as this character within the paranormal field. It's a chance to really get deep into who she was as a person. And they've got information in this book that nobody has ever heard before. They've got pictures in this book that nobody's ever seen before. I think he said over 20 new photographs of Lizzie that haven't been released to the public yet. So it's going to be really, really um, definitive, at least as definitive as we can get, as to who Lizzie Borden might have been as a person. Now, it seems weird to to talk about somebody who lived only a 100 and, I don't know, less than 100 years ago she passed away. And there are the stories that are passed down from Fall River Citizen to Fall River Citizen. But no matter what the stories are about her as a person, they've been overshadowed by the murders and it's warped people's perspective. And now we're getting this Lizzie that comes through in the paranormal vein, through EVP, through psychic contact, through the cell phone to the dead and the telephone to the dead. So there's this new Lizzie that is kind of created. And for anybody that's in the paranormal field, we know that ghosts can play tricks with you. Negative spirits especially can play tricks with you. So it might not even be Lizzie that we're making contact with, but whatever it is, it can create its own persona that it wants to project. Maybe the ghost of Lizzie Borden is completely different than the living Lizzie Borden. We don't know, but it's something that we can certainly explore in the future. And while the historical society is slowly getting on board for the paranormal stuff, and God, if you've ever been there, what a great place that would be to investigate. That place is phenomenal. I was just in a hallway doing a book signing, and I was amazed at just the architecture of the hallway that I was in. Imagine a 15-foot rounded wooden door. You know, I mean, that's just the kind of nice <laughs> amenity that when you can afford it, it's nice to have in your home. So uh, we'll, we'll hopefully uh, be able to share some of what we've discovered paranormally with Michael Martins when he comes on the show. So that's pretty much our Halloween in a nutshell. Myself, and I know Matt Costa was helping me with my haunted yard, and then we just played rock band <laughs> for a while. Uh, Matt Moniz, I know last Saturday you were actually out in the field and you had the chance to, to check out a pretty cool place. Yeah, I was at the Inner Duck Creek out in Wallfleet. Um, f- phenomenal place. <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, the place was a uh, home to a ship captain in Wellfleet Harbor, or the old Wellfleet Harbor, until they built a dike and stuff and now the harbor is moved out further but uh this captain used to be able to sail a ship right up to the basically the porch of the house step door, off door to door access exactly uh he died in the house and uh there have been several other people that have been you know 
met their demise on the property, suicides, uh, a couple of deaths in the in uh, in the there's like a a series of um, outbuildings around the house. One is they've made into a um, a bar, and a, it's interesting because at the bar they've had a couple of musicians die right on stage. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> right on stage. I mean, I've heard of comedians dying on stage, but never but, No, uh, one was a piano player. He, in the middle of a song, he just slumped over. His head hit the keyboards and slid under the uh, under the piano and died right there. A drummer and uh, a number of bands, when they go up there and play, they have um, this woman that only the band members see playing on stage with them, and or they'll go over and she'll start pulling on their hair and... Sounds you know, similar to a lot of the reports from Water Street Cafe, too. Yeah, something similar. Mm. Yeah, that's what I found interesting. And uh, <laughs> a lot of bands are like, you know, who is this woman that came up on stage? And unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess if you're out in the audience, they don't get to see it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's an interesting phenomenon. There was another house out back called the uh, Salt Works where there's kids well a small kid uh that plays around in the house and several other people in and out uh one of the people that live there committed suicide in a tree that is no longer there in the property but you know somebody that came back later on a, a sensitive you know talked about this person dying and hanging in the tree and they're like there's no tree there don't know anything about it well a visitor this summer came by and told the owners, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember this. there was a tree there. <laughs> yeah, my friend's uncle hung himself in that tree. Oh, wow. And that's like, okay. So now they got a validation after this. So how, how did the investigation come about? Did they get in contact with you, or had there been enough stories from people staying there that you'd heard about? I actually uh, was helping out Andy Lake with uh, a book he's currently writing, and uh, he asked me to tag along and uh, the girls from Spies, you know, joined us, and it was a pretty interesting night. We heard furniture moving around, um, audible voices. Uh, I I saw basically a, a shadow-type person on the third floor move from one side of the room into the other into the bathroom, and Andy Lake saw it at the same time. Now I had my camera in my hand, and I'm watching this, and didn't even have the presence of mind to snap the picture because it was one of these, oh, my God, right there, super. Right by, and then it's like, too late. But um, Andy had seen it earlier in the evening, and then the girls picked up on it later on after we had vacated the area. But so. the owner spoke freely of the activity oh, yeah. happening? They, they have, because there's like close to 30 rooms in this inn, wow. uh, they have people come down all the time, you know, and from certain rooms that, you know, hey, who's this woman that, you know, told me everything's all right, go back to sleep? You know, that was looking out my window. And, you know, uh, another room they have, uh, like I said, a little boy that runs around, little girl, and it. Each room has its own little interesting haunt. Put it that way. And this is the inn at Duck Creek. Is that Correct. the name of it? And Wellfleet. And so, if you're going down there, I mean, you might. It's as closed well, for the yeah. season now. But I mean, if you're going to go down to the to the Cape and you want to stay somewhere, you might as well stay at the haunted haunted inn. Yeah. And uh, there's so many other places. I mean, you can check out Derek Bartlett and Capers, their ghost walk tours that they do uh, in Barnstable. And I know there's similar things going on in Provincetown. So it sounds like you could really make a a pretty good weekend for yourself down there investigating the paranormal on the Cape. Um, Do you know what the rooms usually go for during the season? 
like with the Lizzie, different rooms are different prices, different yeah, but parts of the week. Probably like around 200 Yeah, during peak season, they're about $200 a piece. But they're so, beautiful rooms. And, and they, I mean, to stay down there, I mean, you basically, you have to go to a bed and breakfast or you have to go to some kind of an inn because there's not a lot of, you know, cheap econo lodge accommodations down there. So, right. you, you know, you're getting the full boat experience when you go down there. And, and what's interesting about the Cape is the haunts are there, the stories are there, but they've been kind of kept under wraps for a long time. Correct. They're only just starting to filter out through books like Cape Encounters and uh, through the work that Derek and Capers is doing, as well as a couple other groups down there on the Cape. And it's just some interesting interesting haunts, I'll say that, because some of them are very modern and some of them are very old, and there's not a lot in the middle. Yeah. It seems to be what, I, what I've discovered. So, well, if you've had any Cape encounters, uh, and I don't mean the book, but if you've had any and you want to share, 508-996-0500. One eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Those are the numbers to call in at any time during the show. You can also email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, and uh, you can also jump into the chat room at Fate Radio. Just go to fatemag.com/fateradio, or you can go to spookysouthcoast.com and click on the link there as well. Why don't we take a break? When we come back. We're going to talk about something that came across the newswire this week that's really interesting. And thank God for Twitter because Twitter allows us to follow so many of these stories. We want to find out what do MC Hammer, Jay-Z, you know, I was I was going to lead into this because you started the music. You can get the music going. Thank you. MC Hammer, Jay-Z, and the Illuminati. What do they all have in common? We'll find out in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. Waxler, Allen, and Collins wants you to know. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And before we go forward here with the show, uh, we just have a little bit of a, a public service announcement. We like to use our experience in the paranormal field to share information with people when they need it. And uh, we have a special message out there for Jacob. We want to let you know that and what we've what we found out over the years is that monsters, uh, they can't survive in the light. So if, if you have a nightlight in your room, there's no way that a monster can get you. Uh, and, but one thing that they do like that we found is if, if you're a small child and you don't use the potty after a certain point, that's, that's when they, they especially come to bother you. So the two ways you can avoid having to deal with a monster is by having a nightlight in your room and by using the potty. And I found that out the hard way when I was a kid because I actually tried to use the potty in the dark without the nightlight and... Forget the monsters. My mom made me clean the whole bathroom, so there you go. So good luck, uh, Jacob, and just remember, keep that nightlight on and, and keep using that potty. All right. Now, let's um, let's move on a little bit here because one thing that I want to talk about is this MC Hammer, uh, you know, the, the 
I guess is he a reverend? Do we call him the Reverend MC Hammer? I know that he's a preacher, but I'm not sure if he's just somebody who gets up and delivers sermons or if he's actually been ordained. Oh, um, he just has to go to a website, right? I've done it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm the Reverend the Reverend Timothy Weisberg. But um, I- I'll say this: you know, he's he's a man who is definitely grounded in his faith. Is uh, one Stanley Burrell. Before we get into this whole thing, I just want to throw out there too: uh, MC Hammer, 48 years old. So just keep that in your mind when, when we're talking about this. This is a 48-year-old man. Here's the issue. Uh, I guess Kanye West has a song called So Appalled, and in that song, Jay-Z drops a verse uh, that refers to MC Hammer's money woes from the 1990s. And uh, here's, here's the actual line from the song. Show me where the boats is, Ferrari Testarossas. Hammer went broke, so you know I... So you know I'm more focused. I lost 30 mil, so I spent another 30. Because unlike Hammer, 30 mil can't hurt me. So Hammer apparently took exception to Jay-Z dropping this verse. Now, these are two guys who are supposedly friends. Uh, Jay-Z has a a book coming out, and in that book he actually praises Hammer uh, and and says nothing but nice things about him, according to what Jigga is saying. But uh, don't worry, I'm going to (laughs) work in the hove, too. So... Here, here, here's the issue. There's a theory that's been out there for a long time. We've never really discussed it on the show, and we probably should. We probably should do an Illuminati show sometime where we talk about, because we actually have here on the show, we have a Freemason. We have somebody who is at least privy to some of the inner workings of the Masonic Order. And we could really get to the bottom of a lot of these things, but we, we haven't done it yet. But one of the theories out there, one of the conspiracy theories that's bandied about is that MC, I'm sorry, that Jay-Z is part of the Illuminati. That Jay-Z is part of this group that not only is, you know, the Illuminati, but also worships the devil as well. And some of the things that have been thrown out there as evidence is, you know how the Illuminati and the Masonic Order are said to have that handshake? You know the handshake I'm talking about, where one guy wraps, I have no idea what you're referring to. wraps his thumb around, and the other guy's got his hand like that. Well, there's numerous pictures of Kanye and, and Jay-Z actually engaging in that hand, handshake. Uh, the Eye of Horus is frequently featured on a lot of the Rockaware clothing. Uh, th- there's actually one shirt that says Masters of the Craft, and it's got various different Masonic symbols on it. That's a Rockaware uh, shirt. Uh, also... The fact that he even calls his record company Rockefeller Records. I mean, Rockefellers is supposedly one of the families that are tied into this Illuminati. And then the other thing is how close that the, you know, the Rockefeller <laughs> diamond that they hold up is, you know, pretty similar to, whoop, yep, there you have it, the triangle. So, the Great Pyramid with the eye at the top. So, uh, there, there's all these different things that people are throwing out there. Now, we've heard this kind of things associated with all kinds of people. But Jay-Z actually does mention in some of his songs, uh, you know, there's references in some of his songs, uh, uh, possible Illuminati references, definitely devil-type references. Uh, If you've ever heard the Black Album, there's a lot of it in there. So it's it's not like he isn't giving hammer fodder for this theory. So they get into this whole battle, they get into this whole disagreement, and now Hammer put out a new song this week called Better Run Run. And I don't know if you want to look it up on, on YouTube there, Matt Costa, but in the video, 
there's a Jay-Z imposter dressed in the Yankees cap and the white T-shirt, you know, made to look like Jay-Z, and he's running from the devil uh, throughout the entire album, uh, throughout the entire video. And uh, it, one of the lyrics in the song is, I can see it in his eyes, the boy sold his soul. Devil said, I'm going to give you the world. I take it, plus give me a girl. You know, referencing also Beyonce Knowles, Jay-Z's wife. Uh, and I actually have all the lyrics here to Better Run Run. And aside from being a, 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 a great diss song, you know, the, the diss tracks that the rappers do, Matt, you know what I'm talking about? The diss tracks? <laughs> yep. Uh, Mr. Devil, can you give me a sign? He said, throw the rock up. That's one of mine. So that's what we're talking about, you know, the well, the triangle there, the diamond. Uh, so I, I'm reading these lyrics, and I have to say, you know, Hammer, you're for a 48 year old man. You're you're getting pretty brave, uh, saying things like, "If I knocked on your door, you uh, would you come on out? If I knocked on your door, that means I'm knocking you out. If I knocked on your door, boy, I'll bust you in your mouth." <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go in on the fella, but that dude wrote back to the devil. I don't rock your wear. Your shoes, I don't need a dark pair. That boy tried to steal, steal my swag. Fingerprints all over the bag. Imposter, get him out of here. Imposter, the king is right here. So, yeah, by the way, he's now King Hammer because he hadn't changed his name enough times over the course of his career. Now, don't get me wrong. I was always a big Hammer supporter. I felt bad for him when he went broke and everybody was making him the butt of the jokes. But I, I, I don't know. He's really, really reaching here on this Illuminati connection, I think. I mean, Jay-Z is way too of a... I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for here? Flashy? He's way too flashy. He's way too out there to to really be a, a major operative in a in a secret secret outfit like the Illuminati. So I'm just thinking that the the president of Def Jam Records, you know, somebody who is basically sold himself out to. I love the fact that the guy is kind of fat too. <laughs> in the video. And, of course, throughout the video, too, MC Hammer is uh, uh, promoting his alchemist company, which uh, is an MMA management firm and also a clothing designer. So, you know, naturally he makes sure that he uh, rocks those clothes. See, there you go, the devil throwing up the... So there you have it. If you have any thoughts on this and you want to call up and share, one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. 1420 I'm sorry, 508 996 You can also email us, crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, of course, the chat room at FateMag.com. So what do you think? Matt, you're watching the video now. Definitive proof, Hammer calls us. He calls us definitive <laughs> proof that Jay-Z is part of the Illuminati. He said on his Twitter account that he was going to reveal on October 31st definitive proof that Jay-Z was a member of the Illuminati. Does this video sell you on that idea? Um, I don't know. It's probably the best Hammer video I've ever <laughs> seen. Really? Production-wise. Pro- <laughs> more so than Too Legit to Quit? All right, maybe that one. That video was ridiculous. It had James <laughs> Brown in it. So, yeah, and here's the part where Hammer gets into a fist fight with this guy just to promote the MMA stuff. Actually, so. pumps and a bump. Pumps and a bump. Pumps and a bump. Moniz, I know you're not a rap guy, so you probably don't have much to, to say on the rap battle idea of all this, but what do you think of the idea of somebody so flashy and so out there being part of the Illuminati? I mean, is, and what you've researched and... I'm not accusing you of being a member, but what you know of the Illuminati, don't you think that Jay-Z kind of wouldn't fit the profile, or would he? Well, 
originally the Illuminati were the opposition to Freemasonry. Okay, most people have now blended the two together. And they were actually, one was used to be the demise of the other. Uh, the Freemasons were one of the original people that helped found what this country was, and later on people resented the power that they had, and the supposed Illuminati came to power and and things like that, and now people have blended the two together. But uh, as far as somebody being in a quote-unquote secret society, there are probably many more people out there that are involved in secret societies that are out in public. Uh, you want to go crazy, you know, and I, I risk lawsuit saying this, but what about Tom Cruise? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, any any group that has well, I mean, secrecy about what they do and who who are members. Or, he's part know. of Scientology, which right. is you know, there's there's no secrets to them. They'll they'll come right up in your face and tell you how crazy they are. But they just don't think it's crazy what they believe. So no, but the, but their member their membership is kept secret. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, unless the person wants to volunteer themselves about it. But saying any time you have any bit of restricted information and restricted access, you'll have people making all kinds of claims and accusations. I mean, if 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 Jay Z was involved with this and. Uh, again, I'm not accusing anybody of, of being involved, but uh, I don't understand why, because of the diss in a Kanye West song, Hammer feels it's his job to out him to the world when there's probably bigger players in the Illuminati that he could go after. And also, really, consider the source. I mean, how credible is a guy who once made a cartoon about himself in which he had two magic shoes that gave him superpowers? Yeah. I'm just saying, you know. Those, those Stop bringing the shoes into this. They're, shoes, not, they're, those, they're not here to represent themselves. Those shoes were pretty <laughs> hilarious, though. They, they were the best actors on that show. So, well, uh, I, I just saw that come across my my news desk, and I couldn't not address it because if it's one thing we love here at Spooky South Coast, it's the fact that the paranormal and and certain conspiracy theories work their way into pop culture all the time, and we just we love it. And this is going to be something that we're going to start picking apart Jay-Z lyrics for the next two months, you know, pointing out to all these references. And, and it's kind of like that whole Beatles, Paul is dead thing where once it gets in your head, then you're going to go back and say, oh, now Pink it Floyd, makes the sense. Of Oz yeah, now it makes sense. I'm starting to see where they're going with that. But I just thought I'd, I'd bring that up. There were a lot of different uh, accusations uh, flown around you know, back in the 1700s and the 1800s of all these people who were in positions of power being accused of being aligned with groups like this. And the, here in the modern era, it doesn't happen so much, mainly because we can chart somebody's successes. We can under, we can kind of follow where they come from and see where they become this megastar. We've seen the rise of, for example, a Jay-Z who went from being a, a street hustler to being the president of Def Jam Records and one of the most recognizable people on earth. So it's not like people are coming out of left field with their wealth and their fortune and their notoriety anymore like they did in the old days. But there is always going to be that idea of somebody selling their soul. Uh, you know, the Faustian tale of somebody who got ahead inexplicably and all of a sudden became an overnight success. What? Who the hell is doing that? <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that over the airwaves, but somebody is laying on their horn outside. 
And uh, unless it's uh, MC Hammer calling me out to give me some special information about Jay-Z, I hope they stop. But this meteoric rise that comes out of nowhere, wouldn't MC Hammer kind of fall into that category? I mean, here's a guy who, you know, when he was in his 30s already, becomes a megastar, becomes one of the number one uh, recording artists on the planet, the first rapper to reach number one with You Can't Touch This. This guy just comes out of nowhere. I mean, I know that he'd been recording albums for a few years, but he had this instant success all of a sudden and this great excess, and then he let it all slip through his fingers. But, I mean, wouldn't he be somebody that would be just as likely to be tied into something like this? Shouldn't he be careful where he points points the fingers? You're saying uh, parachute pants or uh They're, they're the mark of the, the devil. devil. Yes, they are the mark of the devil. And if you've ever worn them, you know what I'm talking about. Do you still have Zoomas. yours? Zumas? I still have is mine. It, is that what they're called? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know that uh, I, I used to get mine at the flea market for like $8 a pair. They weren't gold lame like hammers, <laughs> but they definitely had the... Uh, they were more like the... Uh, Early '90s pro wrestlers when they weren't in the ring type pants, you know. Yep. With uh, the different tiger stripe, colored tiger stripes on them, and everything. All right, that's that's talks getting embarrassing now. Where are we going with this? I don't know. This is what we talk about when we don't have guests on the program. <laughs> this is Spooky South Coast. That's fine. This is what it's like having a conversation with us all week long. If you've ever uh, talked to us off the air, you know that this is how we get skids. Skids, Paranormal skids. Pirate says Skids. <laughs> yeah. I forgot Skids. They had a little uh, like slippery when wet type logo on yep. them. Yeah. And uh, cross colors. Don't forget cross colors too. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Mark still has some cross colors in his closet at home as well. <laughs> and uh, let's see. What, what else was there? A TFGJ uh, jacket. Oh, the triple fat goose. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't afford it. Nope, but I had the knockoff, the one they sold at Ames. <laughs> And uh, what, what? Well, they did, had uh, like shredded mattress stuffed in it instead of like real feather. Yeah, <laughs> and they were extremely flammable, as my friend Luke <laughs> found out when he wore one to science class. Mister Hassan Fussa's science class. He. That's a guy we should have as a guest. I, you know, he's my Facebook friend, and I've been trying to get him to come on the show, and hopefully someday he will, because we'll basically just sit here and let him talk. And he's he's one of the guys that uh, he's one of the guys that made this show happen because he was the guy that allowed us to talk about this stuff in science class. So Peter Hassenfuss, we salute you. Come on the show, please, and uh, we we would love to have you on. We can talk about whatever you want, even if you want to come on and talk about chemistry. You know, we'll let you do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, now Matt's watching the pumps in a bump video. So this is going to go on all night. I think we're going to have some MC Hammer uh, bumper music coming in. Now. Why don't you throw up the uh, pumps in a bump? We'll take a break, and uh, we can go out to pumps in a bump. Because, you know, it is it is the quintessential Hammer gangster rap song. You know, when he did decide to, to join Death Row Records, which I still can't understand to this day. But uh, here it is. Pumps on the bump. We'll take a break when we come back. More talk until the news. <laughs> Stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast.
Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, broadcasting live here on WBSM across the airwaves at SpookySouthCoast.com and on Fate Radio. Just go to FateMag.com slash Fate Radio, and you can check out the live video feed from the Spooky Studio. And we've got a lot of people in the chat room at Fate Radio who are wanting to talk about uh, time travel. And I think we will. I mean, I, I was thinking all week long that I wanted to address the idea of time travel on tonight's show because basically we'll all be traveling back in time an hour and just a few short hours uh, with daylight savings. So I think it would be fun to, to talk about that uh, in, in conjunction with that. Also, don't forget, yesterday was November 5th, which uh, by my calculations was the 55th anniversary of the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. November 5th, 1955. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it all it all relates. So we'll talk about time travel in just a little bit, but I want to get to the story that was pointed out to us by a, a listener here. And this is, this is really interesting because I hadn't heard about this uh, until it was brought up to me. So this comes from the L.A. Times blog uh, at latimes.com. After being arrested in Vancouver earlier in the week, fugitive actor Randy Quaid and his wife Evie might be Evie, I'm not sure, petitioned Canadian authorities for safe haven on Friday, sending their attorney out in front of photographers with a note indicating that they are, quote, requesting asylum from Hollywood star whackers. Hollywood is murdering its movie stars, Evie Quaid said at their Friday hearing, during which, according to the Vancouver Sun, the couple alleged eight of their friends had been murdered in recent years and that they feared that they were next. They had also thought that they had been treated unfairly by the U.S. justice system. The Quaids were repeatedly failed to show up in court on various charges, uh, including allegedly skipping out on a $10,000 hotel bill and vandalizing a home that they were squatting in, one which they had once owned. The Daily Beast reported previously that the Quaids had hired a private investigator to check out who might be trying to kill them. Investigator Becky Altringer said that last year, Evie Quaid believed Randy's co-stars Heath Ledger, Chris Penn, David Carradine, and Natasha Richardson were among those killed by a mysterious group that they're calling the Star Whackers. Michael Jackson was also included on that death list, perhaps for good measure. Randy Quaid told me that he knew Evie needed help, but that he didn't want to be the one to commit her, Altringer said Monday on the early show. How asylum in Canada could protect the couple from the alleged Star Whackers is unclear. Carradine died in a hotel room in Bangkok, 
which was a good deal farther from the United States than, say, Vancouver. Although she, was, she died in a hospital in New York, Richardson was injured in a fall while skiing in Quebec. Ledger overdosed. Penn died of a heart attack. Carradine allegedly uh, accidentally asphyxi- 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 asphyxiated. I was in a chokehold there. I couldn't get the words. <laughs> chokehold. And Richardson's death was ruled an accident. Uh, the Quays are due in court in Santa Barbara on Tuesday. So there you go. The the star whackers are the ones who are taking out these stars, and Randy Quaid and his wife feel they're next. I love Randy Quaid. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. And uh, they're actually holding up a note here in the courtroom. Uh, it says, yes, we are requesting asylum from Hollywood star whackers Randy and Evie Quaid. So... You can go to the LATimes.com website and check the blog out there and follow more. We're definitely going to follow more on that story as well because it's, uh, like I said, I hadn't heard about it. And uh, I really want to kind of see what goes on there because there's nothing better than when stars start talking crazy. Charlie Sheen, by the way, who was a really big supporter of the 9-11 Truth Movement and somebody who uh, was helping to promote the credibility of Alex Jones documentaries and, and different films uh, portraying the idea of 9-11 being an inside job. He really took a hit in his credibility recently, so that's not really helping that cause. I just wanted to point that out there. But Now let's get on to the idea of time travel. There, uh, One of the shows that we've always wanted to talk about is the idea of John Teeter. Now for those who are fans of the Coast to Coast AM radio program, many years ago, uh, it was revealed in that show that this time traveler, John Teeter, had been making postings on the Internet uh, talking about how he was from the future. He had come back to uh, find a particular device uh, that they needed in the future that was only available in the 70s, an IBM computer, I believe, that was only available in the 70s. Apart from one, yeah. And, and so he was still here in the early 1990s, and he was making all these predictions. And uh, it had been going around on the Internet for quite a while. It eventually made it onto the Art Bell program. And so frequently, Art Bell would open up a time traveler line, hoping that people who were time travelers would call in and share things from the future, and maybe hoping that John Teeter himself would call in. Now, there's a lot of things going on with the Teeter case, and we will get to it at some point. But it was suggested in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com that we open up a time traveler line. And I'm just going to go out there and say that time travelers are always welcome to call in on our show at one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. They don't just have to wait for us to open up a special line for it. So if you're from the future, if you're from the past, even if you're from the present, call in right now one eight six six one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty and share your story with us. But on the idea of time travel, this was really had the internet a buzz recently. This nineteen twenty eight Charlie Chaplin film. Uh, it was called The Circus, and it was recently released on DVD, and there's a behind-the-scenes look at people attending the film premiere at Mann's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. In one of the scenes, a woman in a dark coat is seen walking in the background and holding a thin black object next to her left ear. And there's YouTube clips where they actually take this down uh, and they break it down. Uh, there was actually an Irish filmmaker who uh, was working on this, and discovered what appears to be a woman in 1928 talking on a cell phone or some sort of communication device that she has up to her ear. And if you see the clip, it's really convincing that she's talking into whatever she's holding in her hand. Uh, it's broken down, it's it's slow mode and everything. It looks like she's talking into whatever's in her hand. 
But she could also be holding something and talking to somebody off screen as well. But you want to see it. You want to make your own uh, decision about that. And if you have seen this clip and you want to call up and share what your thoughts are, one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. You can email us spooky crew at spookysouthcoast.com, and you can also jump into the chat room at fateradio.com. But to me, I have my questions about this because if it was some sort of communication device, uh, how well would it work, Matt Moniz? Uh, it definitely couldn't be a cellular telephone. Working off satellites like our cellular telephones do. There's no tower there to relay the reception. What would they have to have well, with them if they were a time traveler utilizing this type of technology? Well, if you're, you know, using a device, say some sort of vehicle to get back, you could have a vehicle that would have its own one singular tower to talk to, and basically you have a two-way radio. Um, essentially, that's what that would be. Is that what this woman is doing? I don't know. She could be speaking into a recorder. They did have uh, small recorders back then. I know that. Um, It it recorded on a wire, actually. It was a spooled wire, but they were very expensive and um, a little bit more cumbersome. So, But she is definitely talking on something. Now, people have argued. Well, is she talking on something or is she holding something and talking? Holding something to her head and talking. Either way, it's semantics. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, not necessarily. It depends on if she's talking into whatever she's holding in her hand or talking and happens I'm to be talking holding something imper- in her hand. It, sure, in no, terms of the video, yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, what's interesting is people have claimed that, you know, it's a hearing aid, uh, one of those horn type. brought up in the chat room. Well, the problem with that is I've ha- I have an aunt that's deaf, and I've worked with a number of deaf people. Deaf people don't need to hear themselves talk. Okay, they know it. Their their problem is hearing other people. So if she's walking by herself and talking, she doesn't need to hear herself. Uh, the other issue with that being is who's she talking to? If there's nobody else there. Well, there is somebody that walks by the camera a few minutes ahead of her. So I mean, maybe she's kind of commenting to that person who walked by. Um, it is a movie premiere, so there's a lot of people around. Uh, but this isn't the only instance of. When people have gone back and looked at this old footage, and not this particular footage, but any old footage, and tried to find evidence of "quote unquote" time travel by people, you know, doing things or wearing things. Uh, usually, frequently, people point out clothing that people wear and say, "Yeah, oh, there's that, you know. several other photographs that I've seen that definitely these people are way out of their time period for what they're wearing." Yes, but uh, I mean, are we putting our modern viewpoint into? something from the past and saying, oh, well, we know it is this, so it has to be that. Well, when you have people wearing things that weren't invented until 20 years later, yeah, that kind of kind of makes you wonder. But uh, Like when uh, Marty McFly wore those weird Nikkei moccasins? Yeah. In 1885? That kind of thing. All uh, time travel to me has to do with Back to the Future or Quantum Leap. I've said that numerous right. times on the show. Now, what's interesting on the video is this person notices that they're being recorded. Okay, it's not not like just they kept on going. It's an uh-oh moment noticing that, you know, I've just been caught on film. Because this person stops and looks and then continues going. Now, that is that would be a concern to a time traveler. Yes. Have I left the record of me being here? The whole, yeah. 
Well, Matt Costa, you're the, the the extremely skeptical person, pretty much all the time. What do you think of this footage? I don't know. It's uh, it is kind of a cool video, mm-hmm. and uh, I I I think it is that that hearing aid. I'm gonna say it's that hearing aid, and I think it's just a crazy person talking to themselves with a hearing aid. Well, what I like about <laughs> why? it... why because they're crazy. <laughs> okay. They had crazy people back then. That's true. That's not a did. new thing. No, not at all. <laughs> Actually, they had more crazy people back then because uh, you know they they were just considered eccentric and they were allowed to to roam around. It wasn't like or it could be a cell phone. You know, now where we felt we had to overtreat, <laughs> we have to overtreat everybody. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely gets people talking about the idea of time travel, which is something that I like. I like the fact that there's discussion about it because time travel to me seems to be something that's fallen off the public radar. Uh, and it's something that we don't really see as a worthwhile pursuit anymore. But it might be the last well, scientific frontier. The government frontier. seemed to want to pursue it for a significant amount of time. I'll give you a perfect example: um, Project Montauk. Well, uh, I'm just going to jump in for a second. Uh, Craig in the chat room. It was 1928 was uh, when this footage was from. Okay. From the film called The Circus. But obviously, the governmental applications of time travel are. Huge, but I'm talking about just the general public discussing the idea of it. To me, it's it's the last frontier of exploration. We've we've more or less conquered space for the most part. I mean, well, okay. I mean, we we've been able to <laughs> we've been able to leave Earth. What what, okay. what other developments can happen beyond there? I think will eventually happen from the private sector. We took in the years first to come. steps, Let's but we've been yeah. we've been able to break the Earth's gravity and project ourselves into space. Now we need to find the way to break ourselves of the gravity of time and explore in that direction as well. Uh, I mean, like I, and like I said, I think the privatization of space is going to be what will bring the most advancement because they're going to go where the money is. So, you know, you can't just float people out there and keep making money for so long. Eventually you're going to have to go land somewhere, and then landing somewhere means colonizing. But anyway, it's, uh, but... If there's more of an interest in time travel, if it's more talked about, then we're going to get more people who are going to point out these inaccuracies, we'll say, these these strange anomalies in time uh, that otherwise you know might get dismissed and swept under the rug. Oh, that couldn't be a lady talking on a cell phone. It's from 1928. Kind of funny that it looks like it. Okay, let's move on. You know, instead it becomes this big thing that's talked about on the internet and talked about on the news for. Uh, a couple of weeks now. So, mm. well, what do you think out there? Give us a call one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Was it? Did I screw that up? No. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. Remembering those phone numbers. It's because I'm trying to do it just off the top of my head while I'm thinking about other things. But look at that: eighteen thousand views on that particular clip. Ninety thousand on another one. So I mean, this is something that's gaining some steam. Mm. Uh. But the shoes is the other thing that somebody uh, is frequently pointing out. Uh, even in the chat room, people are talking about it. Uh, Why the, sh- the shoes? They're saying that the shoes are, are are too big; that they're like clown shoes. So does that lead to the idea that maybe this woman is a, a little bit eccentric? It's interesting that people are pointing out the shoes because. Um, one of the people that was involved with one of the Montauk projects, uh, talking about when they, they, they would use kids to be sent back in time. Because kids, number one, are, 
um, not really seen in societies. You know, they're they're the invisible people. You know, in society, uh, and if they get cornered or caught, if they say they're from the future, nobody's going to listen to a kid anyway. It's just a kid's wild imagination that mm-hmm. they're just going to get blamed for. And uh, one of the kids that was sent back and to view, I believe it was the Gettysburg Address. He said that he went back and he didn't have any shoes on for whatever particular reason was what it was. As he was walking through town, a cobbler gave him a pair of shoes because it was so muddy and whatever in the place they was heading to. And that a photograph was taken of him with these big shoes on at the Gettysburg Address. That was later found. Yeah. Well... I don't know. I mean, I, I like the idea. Like I said, that's just a story that's told. I, I like the idea of of time travel. I like the belief that it can happen. But have we seen enough scientific proof that it could actually occur? Oh, we know scientifically it can happen. That okay. the, uh, time travel is definitely a, th- a theoretical positive. You, we can definitely, if we had the right materials and. Uh, yeah, right it, type of energy. We we could theoretically go back in time. Is it just a matter of being able to move at the speed of light? Oh, it, and beyond it, there's gravitational forces and a number of different effects that you got to overcome. But according to Einstein, yeah, it, it is possible to move through time. Essentially, we've got to do the Superman. We've got to be able to go against the <laughs> Earth rotation of the. Oh, no, I mean, I'm, I yeah, know it's it, no, it it's a little bit sim- more complicated. Than but that, essentially, but. we have to be able to uh, break. The Earth's gravity and be able to break and go faster than the speed of light to be able to go back and, but can we pinpoint where we're going to go? Yeah, if you excitate uh, things in the right vibration, essentially is what it's taking. Uh, you can move either forward or backward. Uh, it all has to do with, you know, f- the physics of the way atoms and everything are moving and the forces that are acting upon them. If you act upon it the right way, using the right forces with the right appropriate energy, you can bend time forward or backward. So, I mean, there's no, I, I don't know. See, I, the whole, I, I agree with the whole idea of time is just our own kind of construct. You know, that we know that it happens. We know that we age. We know that there's uh, the gradual erosion of living things. Uh, over time, but the uh, you know the minutia of time is something that mankind has created. We're the ones that have created the idea of hours, minutes, days. Time. You know, we've needed that to kind of be a countdown for what is happening in this erosion. If we are able to time, we needed it for measurement. Exactly. Yes. If we're able to travel through time, what would the effect then be on that erosion? I mean, if we're able to travel back in time, how does our body? respond to that i mean if i was to go ahead in the future uh is my body going to stay the same as it is now or would i be you know what i would essentially be physically if i was in that time uh according to the way they explain it yeah there's whatever field you're putting around you that is what's moving you you stay the same in in that envelope however that envelope is generated around Mm -hmm. you and you move to another point it's from here boom to there, boom, in that time. You you didn't change really any because you were involved in this protective envelope and you, the envelope opened 
at this other point in time that you wish to go to? Well, one one thing that would really suck is if you were able to travel in time and you said, I want to travel ahead 50 years in the future, and when you got there, you just crumbled the dust. So <laughs> let's hope that that wouldn't be the case. What about the projection of consciousness? Uh, because we know that we can project, you know, that we can remote view. Well, yeah. You know, not that we can, but we know that it's uh, the the potential exists within mankind to be able to remote view. Can we project our consciousness, maybe not forward, because our physical selves have not been forward yet, but couldn't we project ourselves into the past because we've already been there? Is it possible that we could basically just... Why can't you do both? If your consciousness is free and you're just sending it from point to point, and it's energy, why can't you go forward? May, because there's so many variables in going forward. So many variables going backward, too. Yeah. But, I mean, we know, say, where we were... I know where I was, you know, two hours before I started the show. So could I project my consciousness back to that two hours? But then again, if you are able to do that, how do you know you're not just reliving memory? There you go. That's when, if you want to go back before you were born, how about that? How are you, are you reliving a memory still? Well, that's one of the interesting things, at least as again, I have to, I have to point out that my knowledge of time travel is basically, Back to the Future and Quantum Leap. I mean, it's not that I haven't read more about it, which is I firmly believe in everything that I've learned from those two uh, programs. But with the idea of Quantum Leap, Sam Beckett could only, originally, could only travel back and forth within his own lifetime. Uh, and the idea behind that, though, at least in terms of the show, was because that was the knowledge base that they had built into the computer uh, that was supposedly helping control that time travel. But I would I would wonder that if we could do that projection of our consciousness in terms of time travel, you might only be limited to when you've only existed. You know, you might not be able to go back to before you were born hmm. because your consciousness didn't exist. Then. But then, of course, we're going to get into this whole idea of are we reincarnated souls yeah, and, yeah. and all that stuff. So it's it's funny because we start having a casual conversation here about a cell phone and a Charlie Chaplin now, video, now here's and we start mention. digging into the philosophy of life. Yeah, you're talking about time traveling and past lives. Going into, if you're talking traveling into the future, can you select who your future life is going to be? I want to come back as. I suppose if if you could put intent into it, and I don't see why not. I mean, we, we always hear people say, oh, I know I'm going to come back as a dog because I'm a dog person. Oh, I want to come back as, I hope when I come back, I come back as a woman. You know, like we hear, not, I'm not saying that, but, you know, you hear, the, that's the kind of things that you hear. And I wonder if that intent and, and projecting that intent maybe gives you that end result. Or is it that some theories subscribe in terms of reincarnation that the next life that you get is uh to fill a void of knowledge that you don't have from previous lives, theoretically. So, that's, supposedly you're learning yeah. along the way right. and you're, you're perfecting your soul or perfecting your consciousness. I don't know. All I know is that uh, a couple of people that I've talked to that really believe in reincarnation, um, they've come back and told me that I must be a very young soul because I'm still learning. And I said, well, then that's my excuse now for everything. When I screw up, hey, I'm just a young soul. It's my first go around here. All right, well, why don't we take a break? If uh, Matt's got another MC Hammer song queued up, no? All right, well, we'll take a break. When we come back, phone lines are open, 1-877-996-1420, 508-996-0500. Email spookycrew 
at SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can jump in the chat room at FateRadio.com as well. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, and we're traveling back in time to everybody's sophomore year of high school because that's when they first <laughs> discovered the Steve Miller Band. And it seems like everybody, like when they are a sophomore, get a chance to go see the Steve Miller Band play that summer. So uh, we were talking about time travel, and if you'd like to call in and share any of your thoughts, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Uh, I do want to say hello to everybody out there that I've met at book signings over the past few weeks. Uh, again, Ghosts of the South Coast is the name of the book. It's now out at all the chain stores. I know that Barnes & Noble had some copies uh, in Dartmouth out on the shelf. I just dropped off some signed copies at Baker Books. There's also signed copies at Tyhonet Village Market in Wareham and the old company store in Wareham. And uh, I know that Barnes & Noble and Borders uh, in the area are all hoping to do book signings sometime this month as well as I'll be returning to the Sea Witch, I think, on Black Friday as well here in Fairhaven. So there will definitely still be some signings coming up if you haven't had a chance to pick up the book or you want to pick up another one for a Christmas gift. I've never been a Christmas gift before. It's really weird. And I want to say hi to uh, to Nate, and I want to say hi to uh, the paranormal granny, Kathy, who uh, came out uh, in Fall River last weekend, and, and just great meeting everybody. And, and in addition to just... Hearing stories and having discussions with people, we had a great conversation about the paranormal happening right there in the Fall River Historical Society. So uh, it was great talking with all of you, and hopefully we can all work together in the future. Uh, next week, the plan is we're going to have uh, Tiffany Rice on to come in and talk about her psychic abilities and hopefully do some readings right here on the air. And she's somebody who is interesting to me because she doesn't have all the answers yet about her ability. She doesn't really know why it's happening. Uh, but I know a number of people who have gotten readings from her and say that she's dead on. Matt, you had the chance to, I to work with her with last her, so. weekend. Yeah. So we're going to talk with her about investigating with those abilities. And also uh, we'll put her to the test here on the air. And I know that she's trying to get more into being able to, to develop her abilities to be fine-tuned enough to do something like a radio reading. So. Well, uh, when we were at the uh, Inn at Duck Creek, one of the first rooms we went by, she went in, something just dragged her in there, and she went and spot on described something that happened regularly in that room that only the owners know about, uh, including a description of uh, a feature in the room that is no longer there. Nice. So, yeah. So it'll definitely be, uh, it'll be an interesting discussion next week. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that, and of course we'll have readings available on the air because, you know, we want to. We want to. Uh, whenever we bring on a psychic, we like to talk with them about uh, their abilities and how they utilize them, and then, you know, it's nice to be able to open the phone lines up for readings too. But it's more about finding about the, the person and the phenomenon that's taking place. Um, and of course, if you want to find out more about Ghosts of the South Coast, you can listen to the great uh, interview I did with Craig Anderson over on Art History Project. I had a great time talking with Craig, and uh, 
we basically touched on all different aspects of Spooky South Coast and about Ghosts of the South Coast, and it's uh, it's always great talking with Craig. And to me, I could just listen to him talk for hours. I just I love his accent. I love the I love the I love the Art History Project show. And if you haven't checked it out, you have to go to arthistoryproject.com and you can find out more about the program there. And uh, if if you listen to the show, we know that you love history. We know that you want to learn more about history, and that's a great place to go. Well, paranormal and history are tied. Even if people don't want to admit as much, yeah. they, uh, <laughs> they they can't help it because uh, part of the paranormal research is the research aspect of it, so you're going to learn about the history sooner or later. And that's what I liked about writing Ghosts of the South Coast is delving into the history of this area that I've lived in for so long and just didn't know uh, some of the really cool stories about it. Now I find that you know, I've done a few radio interviews here and there talking about it, and they want to talk about the ghosts, and I want to talk about the history. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah, there's a ghost there, but you got to hear this really cool story about how the place was even founded. And and that's what it's all about. So if you want to pick up a copy of the book, Amazon does have them uh, in stock, uh, so you can get them there. You can get them through SpookySouthCoast.com. Just go to our Spooky South Coast store and then click on the – the book section and Ghost of the South Coast is the first book that comes up. We appreciate you ordering it through us. Uh, and also, if you want a signed copy, uh, you can send me an email, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll work it out because there's so many people outside this area that have been asking for a signed copy, and technically I can't just sell yeah. them over the yeah. over the website like that. So I have to figure out <laughs> with the publisher how to best go about that. Uh, but we will figure that all out. And, there's also been requests for ebook versions. There's been requests for audiobook versions. I am not certain that the publisher would be willing to, to utilize those options, but I will certainly find out and I will let everybody out there know because now that we're getting into the stage of Kindle and all that kind of stuff, which you can buy a Kindle through SpookySouthCoast.com as well, but as we're getting into all this technology, people want to have things available to them uh, in multiple different ways, so hopefully we can make that happen for them. And then the other question I keep getting is, well, when are you going to write another Ghost of the South Coast? Well, I'd be glad to if people can keep sharing their stories. And you can always email me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. There's also a book section up on our website where you can uh, find out uh, as well. And you can find out how to get me your story. You can find out how to get in touch with us for an investigation. And if you still are having trouble getting a copy of the book and you want to just come down here to the Spooky Studio, I've always got some in my car. (laughs) <laughs> so I'd be glad to sell you one here. They're twenty dollars uh, plus tax, and I can sign it for you. And uh, we also have the T-shirts. The T-shirts are available as well. And the two different styles of Spooky South Coast T-shirts. Uh, those are in the car right now, <laughs> at least until we we store them. Uh, we we do have plans of making them available on the website for sale. I talked to some uh, some attractive ladies who have offered to model them for us. The girls from Paranormal Expeditions have said that they'd be glad to model them for us, so we're going to make that happen, and then we'll put that up there. Because we could put the T-shirts up there, and if we just put them up there, they're not going to gain that much attention. People are going to say, oh, look, T-shirts for sale. And if we wore them, people would say, oh, look, <laughs> oh, those guys are wearing T-shirts. That say It's kind of like when you, you see a Def Leppard show and like Phil Collin, when he does have a sh- shirt on, it's always a Def Leppard. Joe Elliott, too, always wearing a Def Leppard shirt. You know, it's kind of lame sometimes when, when we're wearing our own gear. So if, if we can put our shirts on some attractive women, then that's only going to help sales, I think. At the very least, it'll, it'll increase the interest level amongst our male audience. It's time for our weekly uh, police roll-by. I wonder if they listen to the show and they just want to come by. I think he's coming to buy a book. 
So, um, <laughs> so there you have it. The t-shirts, the books, they're all available. T-shirts are twenty dollars. Books are twenty dollars, and it all goes to a good cause. Us. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, we did not, though. Surprisingly, we did not set up a table at the haunted yard to sell the book. Everybody thought for sure that I would, and uh, we might have actually done better with that than we would have trying to put out the decorations and all that wind. Uh, but we got it done. The kids were happy. All that matters is that there's at least two or three kids that are way too scared to come up into my yard. <laughs> what about those jerk kids? Remember those jerk kids that were like, "Oh, I can see you." All kids are jerks. No. <laughs> You're a crotchety old man. <laughs> At the ripe old age of not 30 yet. Yeah, really. So, uh, uh, let me, well, let me explain to Moniz because he wasn't there, but you know my yard. Yep. We had uh, my brother and his girlfriend, I guess. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I know who you mean. Yeah, so they were down at the uh, at the bottom of the driveway. Okay. Uh, decked out in costumes and hiding. We had Matt Costa decked out in a costume at the top of the driveway hiding. And uh, I was in the yard in my werewolf costume. And uh, basically what would happen is they would come up the driveway and Meredith would get them coming up the driveway. Matt would get them at the top of the driveway. I'd try to get them right when they were going for the candy because we had it on a bowl in the stairs. And this is amongst all our other decorations and animatronics and everything else we got set up. And then as they were done and they were going back down, my brother would jump out and get them then. And we had (laughs) one... One group of kids that were just, I don't know, they just weren't in the spirit or something. First of all, one of the kids was wearing jeans and a red sweatshirt. And unless you're going as that Adam Sandler character from Saturday Night Live <laughs> that sang the song about the red-headed sweatshirt, that's not a costume. Dip, dip, dip. ding dong. <laughs> and I really, I mean, I, I have a rule. If you don't wear a costume, you're not going to get candy. And so this group of kids came up and they saw him and like, ah, I see you. I see you. I know you're hiding there. I see you. So not only did they not expect Matt to get them, but they didn't expect Mike to get them on the way down. So, <laughs> huh, shows you kids. You're just going to cover all your bases when you're doing something like that. should just use my driveway. Don't even need any animatronics or anything to walk up and down that thing. That's, that's true, but you know what? If I was a kid, like, I don't care if you were giving out full-size Three Musketeers or <laughs> the king-size four-pack of Reese's, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I'm still not going to walk down your driveway to go get some candy. <laughs> <laughs> when I uh, when I lived uh, I lived at one time in my life I lived like two miles down a dirt road in Great Neck of Wareham and uh, just I sat there all night waiting just to see if one person would knock on the door and trick or treat and it didn't happen but if, if they did man I would have given them like forty dollars worth of candy just for coming down there there was two houses down the end of this road sort of like my place. So, yeah, I mean, it would, they would have definitely earned their money if they came down there, especially in some sort of costume. So that is uh, that is Halloween for this year, though. I can only imagine next year uh, with the fact that it's been windy two days in a row, uh, two years in a row. Uh, we've avoided rain, but I'm pretty sure next year we're just going to have a blizzard or something. Whatever they can do to make sure that we can't get our yard happening right. Maybe we can buy Edaville and turn that into a, yeah. a haunted... Bog. Have you heard about this, Moniz? Edaville Railroad up for sale? No. The uh, the beloved park that we all know and love growing up in southeastern Massachusetts and definitely a living piece of our history. It is on the on the block. $10 million is the asking price to get the park and all the land. Uh, basically, there's a three-month window 
if new ownership cannot be secured within the next three months, and the owner is willing to do some financing, uh, but if it cannot be secured within the next three months, then the land is all going to be broken up into subdivisions and sold off for residential housing. Oh. So the entire Edaville Park would be gone. All the attractions would be sold off to other parks. That would be a great loss. This is it's, it's similar to what happened the first time it closed down in the late 90s uh, when the land remained intact, but all the uh, exhibits and all the trains and everything were all sold off, and they were able to reacquire some of them when they reopened, uh, build new ones, and also they got a lot of amusement rides from other parks that had right. gone under. Uh, like, if I remember right, the merry-go-round is from Gaslight Village in New York, which I went to as a kid. Uh, the Ferris wheel, um, I forget where that's from. I want to say King's Castle Land. Yeah. Uh, so they already went through all this trouble of building this back up. And the problem is they could never get it back to what it was when we were kids. And that's the, the, the issue with this is so many people had high expectations for it to be the Edaville that we remember that we grew up with, that they couldn't live up to that. Because all those old exhibits, all those old animatronics, everything that they had was all gone. So they just tried to make it the best they could. And for the price tag they were charging, it was like $16 a person. It just wasn't reaching people's expectation levels. So could the right person go in there and turn it around? I don't know. I mean, with a $10 million price tag, just to take control of uh, of the park, that doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room to be able to make the improvements necessary uh, to make the place a draw. I had never been there in the summertime when I was a kid. It was only when I had my own son that I started going in the summer for the Thomas the Train rides. And uh, I think that it could be so much more than it is during the summer months. And there's definitely a lot of potential for the wintertime when they do the Christmas lights and the, the Christmas train. I want to go out on the limb and say I have the vision to make Edaville work. If anybody out there has $10 million just kicking around, they want to invest into something extremely risky. I mean, uh, the other thing they could do is, like, the dinner train that they have that goes up and down the Cape. Why can't you do that, something similar like that at Edaville? Well, the problem with Edaville is it's a closed line, well, the, and it's only about a 20-minute ride. But So the, 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 you're, you're limited to 20 minutes worth of entertainment in the course of that train ride. Well, I'm not saying you have, like, with the dinner train that goes up and down the Cape, that's a, you know, a three-course meal, and it's, yeah. you know, very fancy. Why couldn't you make this something simpler, like burgers and wings, and, you know, it's more geared for kids than anything else. It's not, it's not... They, the way they used to do it in the older days is they used to take the train out, park it, you'd have a picnic out there, right. and yeah. then they would bring you that's, back. That's one of the things I was, you know, going with. I mean, I, I had a chance this year... Uh, well, the last few years, I've had a chance to really see some of the, the inner workings of how, how it worked. And it definitely was people who were doing it for the love of Edaville. They weren't necessarily uh, amusement park people. They were Edaville people. And Brenda and her group tried to keep it going in that Edaville tradition. And with that in mind, they might have missed the boat on a few chances to expand it and to make it something more modern. Um, I would definitely like to see it survive in some fashion. Uh, even if they do end up selling off the land and breaking it up into subdivisions, they've got to keep that main building. Uh, that main building was actually moved there from Boston, I found out, and it has its own history attached to it. It has its own ghost attached to it, mm-hmm. uh, from what I've been told, too. But at the very least, they've got to keep at least some semblance of that park still alive. 
Uh, I think that the tracks will be torn up. I think that the trains will all be moved, uh, and uh, things are going to be sold off. I would rather see people be able to come in and experience it one last time, uh, you know, see if we can get one last run out of Edaville before it goes. So if you want to sign up, go to EdavilleRailroad.com, or I'm sorry, Edaville.com, and you can sign up for the winter season. They're doing a special deal where you can get uh, half off your tickets for the Festival of Lights uh, coming up beginning in November. And this is going to be it. This is your last chance. So get out there and experience it now while you can. It's going to be a shame when it's gone. If you're somebody who lives you know, outside the South Coast area, outside Southeastern Massachusetts, take the trip up. Come up and experience what is probably going to be the last run for Edaville Railroad. You won't be sorry. The history attached to it. A guy like Craig Anderson, I know, could come up and do a fascinating show of our history project on it alone. And it's just, I'm, I'm sad to see it go. I'm already choking up a little bit here. Uh, and hopefully before it's all said and done, you know, we can maybe find somebody to keep it alive. So, Costa, how much do you have in the bank? Um, nowhere near enough. <laughs> I've got about $8 after the rent check. So I'm willing to put my eight dollars out there, but we we if we, I if I stop buying McRibs, maybe I'll. <laughs> You've only got like three weeks left though, so the McRib. I mean, I don't know how many you're planning on storing in the freezer. I don't know. Why don't I you know. just go to McDonald's and ask them if you can buy a case? <laughs> I don't want to be weird. <laughs> yeah, I said you'd rather just keep going every day <laughs> and buying a McRib. That's the same McDonald's. Oh, okay, that's your trick. I see. Um, by the way, we have a phone call on the line. It's Morgan Sparlock. He wants you to star in Super Size Me Too. <laughs> well, uh, serious, uh, amongst the many things we need to keep alive, the McRib is definitely on that list, but I don't think it's as high as Edaville Rail. <laughs> and we're seeing so many of this stuff happen. I mean, so so many of these individual parks have either closed or are on their way to closing. Uh, and, and I guess it's because there's just no way to really profit off them anymore. It's not a profitable venture anymore. Uh, so we need somebody in a historical vein to come and take this over. Uh, we need somebody who wants to keep it open for that reason. So hopefully, uh, oh look at that! Craig's already already <laughs> all over. Edaville dot com, Craig. E D A V I L L E dot com. And if you need any help getting a hold of anybody over there, let me know, and I will definitely help make sure that that happens. So, like I said, next week we're going to have Tiffany Rice on the show to talk about her psychic abilities, to do some readings for the listeners. I know that she has fascinated uh, so many of the people that have had readings with her one-on-one. People that I know, people that I'm related to, people that I love and trust have come back to me and said that she is the real deal. And I'm interested in seeing what she can do for a lot of our listeners because every time we have a psychic on the air, the phone lines light up. And I know that they're going to light up next week too. And it's important to me that each person that has that at least walks away from the discussion with something, whether it be skepticism answered, whether it be skepticism renewed, whatever it is, just come out of it with something. And I think that Tiffany's going to surprise the audience and herself with the connection she's going to make with our audience. Because if these abilities are dependent on being able to pick up a vibe from somebody, I know our audience definitely gives that vibe off. 
because, heck, I did it. I sat here and I used my non-psychic psychic abilities one night on the show, and it worked out pretty well. So we know that it can happen. And somebody just jumped into the chat room and said, glad to see that we're still on the air. We are, but we haven't received the FCC bill from last week. We haven't received the list of fines from last week. Uh, hopefully it's not too pricey, but it was worth it for the discussion that we had with Jackie Barrett talking about the Amityville case. And we'll definitely have Jackie on in the future. And when we do, if you go to the main page of SpookySouthCoast.com, there's a little donate button up there in the corner. And every time Jackie drops one of those words, if you just want to throw us a dollar, <laughs> maybe it'll help us counteract <laughs> some of the Monies, you haven't heard of the show yet, but when you do, no. you can you can hear as we progress <laughs> through the course of the show, not only does her New York come out a little bit more, but so do a lot of the words that might not be fit for air. And uh, she doesn't <laughs> hold anything back, and that's what makes her so great. So uh, it's definitely worth a listen. If you haven't heard it yet, you can get the podcast from iTunes. You can get uh, the, the – is it up on the archive at SpookySouthCoast.com, Matt? Yes. It will be. It will be by the time you're listening to this show podcast. It'll be up there, and you'll have the chance. And you can also get on Fate Radio the on-demand video uh, of it. And it's it's one of those shows where I think even if you listen to us by podcast normally, it's uh, it's certainly worth watching the video just to see the 10 or 15 minutes in which I was speechless. And I'm just sitting there with my jaw dropped open, and I – try to say things and i just i have nothing and thankfully jackie could just keep contributing but the am 1420 wbsm all right well until next week i'm tim weisberg uh from at, i'm sorry from matt moniz from matt costa for chris balzano i'm tim weisberg stay spectacular Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen.